Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And so we resume here in Mizrahi, as well as online. The lockdown of February 2021 is over, hopefully for a long time. And we're about to start being vaccinated. Well, the country is. I think it'll be a while before we are. But we are learning Torah. And even last week, we managed to keep going thanks to Zoom. And we find ourselves on Perak Kafdalad Pasuk Lamad Aleph, continuing the story of Eliezer's mission to find a wife for Yitzhak. And actually, we're going to learn tonight just how worthy it is to spend time understanding the obscure details of Eliezer's mission and his conversations with Lavan and Batuel, as we will see. So in Pasuk Lamad Aleph, the story so far is that Eliezer has identified Rivka as the bride for Yitzchak. She watered the camels and she comes from the right family. Meanwhile, Yitzchak, sorry, uh, Rivka's brother called Lavan rushed to see Eliezer who was standing outside, that was in Pasuk Kavtet. Rashi explained he rushed because he was very avaricious and he saw the uh, expensive jewelry that Eliezer had given to Rivka and he hoped there'd be something more for him. Um, that was in Pasuk Lamad. And then he says in Pasuk Lamad Aleph, and he said, Bo, come, Baruch Hashem, blessed in Hashem, or blessed be Hashem, Lama ta'amod b'chutz, why do you stand outside? Ba'anochi paniti habayit. I have emptied the house, umakom le gamalim, and there's a place for the camels. So Rashi says on Paniti Habayit, says Rashi, me avodat elilim, I have emptied the house from the service of idols. So before we ask exactly why Rashi feels the need to say something, it's worth noting that this fits in with Rashi's, um, if I could say, agenda to paint Lavan in a pretty bad way, which Rashi does consistently. And what you might think is like an innocent phrase, uh, I have emptied the house, Rashi sees as an indication that he is basically an idolater and he's only removed the idols on a temporary basis just to uh, host Eliezer. Uh, but why does Rashi feel the need to say something? <clears throat> so even if you say that, as I think probably you can, that Rashi's got some sort of agenda, some sort of a, a particular backstory he wants to paint, nevertheless, he's true to his mission of explaining the Pshut HaRoshamikra. So why is there an issue in Pshat that needs this explanation? So one answer is the whole thing, but Anochi Paniti Habayit is superfluous. So why, is, why does the Torah add those words? Or you can say it's, it's not totally superfluous, but it, it's a funny expression. After all, when um, uh, Rivka and Eliezer were talking about Makom Lalun or Makom Lalin, it was a place to stay or a place to stay the night. So Paniti Habayit sounds a little bit strange. You can also say that it's odd that he would have to empty out the house. Um, if he's able to take in guests, and presumably he's got room for the guests without having to go through the process of emptying out the house. Um, another suggestion I saw is that it's, uh, it's our friend, the definite article, the Hey Patach on the word Habayit. And it's interesting, I just noticed here, that it's part of the Dibur HaMatzchil of Rashi. Rashi doesn't just say Paniti, but Paniti Habayit. So it could be that it's a definite act. It's not just any old house that I've cleared out. It's the house, which doesn't quite work with the normal rule, but it has to be a previously identified house. But it's as a significance to what's happened to the house. It's more than just, 
I've cleared some away the rubbish from the spare room. But paniti habayit, I have emptied the house of something significant. And I'll just add, I realize, by the way, it should be paniti et habayit, according to the rules of grammar, and it isn't. Um, but I will also add, I saw, there's a parish called the Berba Sadeh, which I like looking at, although I think sometimes his explanation is a little bit way out. Um, but he said like this, that if you go back to earlier in the pastor, he said, Lavan says to um, Eliezer, Lama ta'amod b'chutz, why do you stand outside? Now, what was b'chutz? It probably is referring to what was described in Pasuk Kaftet, where it says, Ulrifka, ach shmo lavan bayarat, lavan el ha'ish, the man was outside by the fountain, oh, sorry, by the well. So he's like quite far away from the house. And now Lavan says two things to him. He first of all says, so presumably he's still standing outside. And then he says, so the Berbasadeh suggests that there's a two-stage process here. When Lavan says, why do you stand outside? Eliezer gets the hint and starts walking inside and gets as far as the courtyard the yard of the house. And then, because we see that Lavan says, it implies that there's, Eliezer had stopped and Lavan needs to say something else to him. So first he says, why do you stand outside? Eliezer comes partially inside. Lavan says something else, saying that Eliezer must have stopped. Why did Eliezer stop? Because there was something in the house that was problematic. Then yeah, Lavan says, I have emptied the house, which Rashi says, what was problematic for Eliezer was the Avod of Ililim. Perhaps that's a little bit of a stretch, but it's, 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 it's nice. Yes. Lavan says, Baruch Hashem. Yes. Yeah. Is, is that maybe a way of, I don't know if she doesn't comment, of maybe sucking up to Eliezer, potentially, and or, I mean, Rashi actually asked for translates it as, oh, blessed of Hashem, as compared to, rather than like, blessed is Hashem. I wonder if maybe it's Baruch compared to Baruch, if that's a difference. Okay, here you're asking a very good question. My grammar doesn't go that far. But so you're, uh, okay, so he's, he's saying, you are Baruch Hashem, you no, are blessed of Hashem. Um, I don't know. And Rashi doesn't actually, uh, as we know, Rashi doesn't comment on that phrase. Uh, all I would say is, um, there is a general theme with Laban, that he's very, very clever with his words. Um, I think the best example is when Yaakov says, can I marry Rochel? And Lavan says, it's better if I give her to you than I give it to someone else. And what does, not, what does Lavan not say? Yes, he doesn't say yes. He doesn't say yes. And you can see this in a few places. Uh, this isn't really Rashi. This is, this is me, but uh, it's obvious. You can see in a few places, Lavan uh, deceives with his words. Uh, and he sounds like he's saying nice things, uh, but really he's not. Uh, and really all the way through his interactions with Yaakov, and indeed here, at least the way Rashi paints him, as I've already said, he that is not overtly wicked, he's covertly wicked. So maybe his use of Baruch Hashem, which, which really is very surprising and stands out, would fit into that pattern of him saying what you want to hear, but not what he really means. Pasuk Lamad Bet. ha'ish habaita. The man came into the house. V'yefatach hagamalim. And he, something to do with opened the camels. And he gave straw and fodder, we talked about mispah last time, to the camels, and water to wash his legs, and the legs of the men who were with him. So we have a comment on Rashi on the word, which I mispronounced before, and he opened, says Rashi, 
hitir zamam shalahem. He undid the muzzles of them. Shahaya sotem et pihem, because he had closed up or muzzled their mouths. Shalo yiru baderech basadot acherim, so that they should not um, graze in the fields of other people. Now, you might remember that we've said pretty much the same thing in Pasuk, I think, hey. Yeah, Pasuk, hey, sorry, Pasuk Yud, I meant Yud. Vayikacha eved asara gamalim mi adonav. The servant took 10 camels of the camels of his master. And Rashi said, uh, and I'm jumping a little bit, why does we need to be told that they're the camels of his master? Who's the other camels are they? There's Rashi. Um, there in Pasuk Yud, nikarin hayu. They were recognizable from other camels, because they went muzzled, because of theft. So they shouldn't graze in other people's fields. So why does the Torah need to say basically the same thing twice as Rashi explains it? Rashi explains that Pasuk Yud and Pasuk Lamad Bet are basically saying the same thing. So it could be that you need them both, because if you look carefully, neither of them explicitly refer to muzzles. Um, it could be that without the reference here to undoing something, you might have thought in Pasuk Yud that they were recognizable because they didn't graze in other people's fields without any muscles. But they, like we talked about Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yair um, in the Gemara, um, whose animals did not graze, uh, did not eat anything that was forbidden to them. And the question is asked, why were Avram's cattle, uh, camels not as good? Because they need to be muscles. But you might have had a Havamina, but they didn't need to be muscles. So if you could have read Pasuk Yud without, we're just saying, but they were recognizable because they didn't graze in other people's fields. But only when you get to Pasuk Lamad Bet does it say that he opened, implying that there was something actually physically restraining them. So without the two Psukim, you wouldn't get the full picture. Now, I brought this Tanakh because in Yeshaya Perak Hay Pasuk Kaf Zayim, we have the phrase, the low niftach. And Rashi says there, I found it a moment ago. Niftach, Loshon Nitar. It's an expression of untying or undoing or permitting. Kamo, just like the Fatah Hagamalim in Bereshit Kaftalat. So Rashi here in Yeshaya, Perak Hei, Pasuk Kafzayat, refers to Bereshit, Perak Kaftalat, Pasuk Lamad Bet, to say explicitly that Patah is an expression of untying. So although it looks like opening, it doesn't really mean opening, it means untying. And that fits very nicely with Rashi here saying, It doesn't mean, it's not an indirect understanding of what was going on. It's actually a translation of the word. The translation of the word is he untied. What did he untie? He untied the muscles. So we move on to Pasuk Lamad Gimel. And it was put in front of him to eat. So Elias has come into the house. And he sits down and they serve him supper. I will not eat an ad until im to be translated. Dibarti Devarai. I have said my words. And they, he said, doesn't say who, Daber, speak. So Eliezer says, Thank you very much for the supper, but I've got a story to tell first. And then he tells the story. Rashi says on the words, Ad im Dibarti. The word im here serves as the word asher. So instead of reading it as ad im dibarati, 
Rav Arida is ad asher divarti, which means very nicely, I can't, I won't eat until I have spoken. So ad means until, but ad asher also means until, or until when the time will come that I have spoken. It doesn't mean im in the usual sense of the word im. What does it im usually mean? If, which is conditional. Yeah? If I speak, sorry, if I eat, no, right the first time. If I speak, then I'll eat. If I don't speak, then I won't eat. That's not what's going on here. He's definitely going to speak. He's definitely going to eat. So im does not mean if. So Rashi says it means asher. And then he says, ubaloshan ki. And it also represents the expression of ki, meaning, well, let's leave ki for what it means in a moment. Im is the same here as ki. Well, let me go back a stage. Im serves as an expression of asher and an expression of ki. Kamo, just like ad ki avoshilo. So in the brachot that Yaakov gives to his son Yehuda, he says something about ad ki yavo shilo. Now, what does that mean, literally? Ad, until, ki, well, ki, as we're about to see, is multi-meaning. So, but if you're not sure what it means, you'd be stuck, ad ki yavo shilo. So Rashi says it means um, that ki is the same as the im here, which is serving as asher. So just like the im here is asher, a key can also be also like Asher Ad Ki Yavo Shiloh until when comes Shiloh because Ki's got the extension of Asher. And then he says, And this is what the sages say. And this is a Gemara in the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, which Rashi quotes in a few places. Ki Mushamesh Ba'araba Lashanot. The word Ki has four meanings. The who im. One of them is e, and that is im. What are the four meanings? Uh, the Gemara says e, dilma, ela, and daha, which is Aramaic for if, perhaps, but, and because. We're pretty used to key meaning because, but if you think about it, we do find key in various other expressions, and the Gemara lists four. Now, what is Rashi doing here? So Rashi is quoting the Gemara, which explains the meaning of key, and says that E, which is Aramaic for Im, is one of them. So that's okay. So key can also, sorry, Im can also mean key, because key can also mean Im. Key has four meanings. E is one of them, which is Hebrew Im. Now, the reason Rashi brings this, perhaps, why does Rashi need to go off on this little tangent about the meaning of the word key? Because key doesn't even appear in our um, Pasuk, although im does, and im is equivalent to key. You might think that Rashi, at his first comment, has created a fifth meaning. Because what was the very first thing he said? Asher. Im here is asher. So if im is key, and it, then in im is also asher, then it turns out key can mean im or asher or the other three, making five. But Rashi actually has taken you around that. He has solved that in his words by saying that im, the asher, is the same as what key means. So im, how did I write this here? Key is the same as asher, which is the same as in, im, which is the same as e. So having said, that key can mean asher, but asher can mean im. That, and we know that im is already one of the meanings of key. So asher is a subset of the meaning im, which is one of the four meanings of key. 
It's not a new meaning of key. So if you like, key can mean four things, as the Gemara says. One of them is im, using the Hebrew, but im can also mean asher. So it's not like a separate, it's not a fifth meaning. It's the fourth meaning has got another variety within it. It's a sub-meaning. It's, it's, a, it's a part of the meaning of im is asher. It's not a separate meaning. You look a bit confused. Okay. The Gemara says the key means four things, one of which is im. Rashi started by saying that im means asher. But if im means asher and im means key, then key means asher. Right, got that? Which makes five meanings. But Rashi starts by saying, at the beginning, let's go back to the beginning. So key's already got asher built in because you can see from ad ki that that key means asher. But how do we get to asher without it being a fifth meaning? Because it's a subset of im. Okay? Is that clearer now? Thank you. Right. So im is one of the meanings of key. And if asher is part of im, then asher is part of key, but without creating a fifth meaning. And I think, complicated though it is, and I've probably made it more complicated, the reason Rashi gives us that thing about the Gemara, about the four meanings, is because otherwise you might be wondering, hang on a minute, I know there's supposed to be four meanings. Is Rashi indeed saying there's five? No, he's not. He's not saying there's five. Okay, so it was a little bit grammatical. And now we go to Pasuk Lamad Dalet and Lamad Hay, and there's no Rashi at all. And there's a reason for that. Let's see what happens in Pasuk Lamad Dalet. He said, I am a servant, the servant of Abraham. And Pasuk Lamad Hay, Hashem berach et Adonai ma'od. Hashem blessed my master a lot, the Yigdal, and he grew great. And he gave him, as Hashem gave to Abraham, flocks and cattle and silver and gold and servants and maidservants and camels and donkeys. So my master is very rich. It's like a good thing to start talking about because he's trying to make a shiver. But why don't we need commentary on this? Because this is basically a repeat of what we already learned. And the interesting thing about Perak Kaftalat, which is one of the longest parakim in the Chumash, it's not the longest, uh, but it's one of them, is because the whole story is basically told twice. It's once told by the Torah, if you like, by the narrator, and then it's told again by Eliezer. Incidentally, the words are not identical. Um, and that's because, I suppose, Eliezer doesn't have the Chumash in front of him, so he doesn't know exactly the words to use. But when there's a significant change between the story that we've read already and the story that Eliezer tells, then Rashi comments on it. But a minor change, he doesn't. Um, although soon he'll talk about one letter different, but there's a special case for that. Um, and in a minute, as I promised earlier, we're going to see a Rashi that says it's really good to hear the whole thing over again. But if there's nothing significant that Rashi needs to comment on in this repetition of the story we've already heard, Rashi doesn't comment. So that's why perhaps that would explain why there's nothing on Lama Dalad and Lama Hay. And now we get to Lama Bab. But Taylor, this is still the words of Eliezer. And he's speaking to Rivka's presumably brother and father. It's not quite clear. Uh, oh, no, later on it will be, actually. It's, it's to her brother and father. And he's trying to make the shira. And we can bear in mind that the words that he uses and even the explanations that Rashi gives are part of what Eliezer says to his deliber deliberately to his audience. So bear that in mind. Lamad Vav. V'teled Sarah eshet Adoni ven la Adoni. And Sarah, the wife of my master, 
bore a son to my master, after her old age, and he gave him everything that he has. In other words, Abraham gave to Yitzchak everything that, Yitzchak, that, that, that Abraham had. So this isn't Rashi, but why, for instance, does he point out that Sarah gave birth to Yitzchak at an old age? To show how precious Yitzchak is. Okay, every Shadchan says, this boy, he's God's gift. In this case, it's absolutely correct. Okay, that's exactly what he means. By the way, so is every single person. So it's an appropriate thing to say. Um, but yes, um, but uh, that's, you can see, and you can see it all the way through, that Eliezer adds these details to make the, uh, the, the, the merchandise more valuable. And this leads me straight on to what Rashi says here in Lamad Vav, on the words, V'yetein lo et kol asher lo, shtar matana hera'alahem. The document of giving he showed to them. Now, where does this document of giving come from? It comes again, I think, from Pasuk Yud. If you go back to Pasuk Yud, we've already met it, we revisited it once, we'll revisit it again. Because it says there, and all the goodness of his master was in his hand. And Rashi says on the words, Abraham wrote a matashtar, a document that he was giving everything to Yitzchak. Now, Rashi said there, Rashi made that point there to explain what it means is how can all his good property, the goodness of all his wealth, be in Eliezer's hand? And, and I made the point, and I'll make it again because I'm excited by it, that it, the most literal interpretation is not the pshat. The most literal interpretation is somehow all the money was in his hand, but the pshat is that, not literally, but a document attesting to all the money is in his hand. And now... Uh, it's a bit have to like, you know, if you reveal a, a prop in Act 1, you've got to then use it in Act 2. So Rashi mentioned this shtar, and now he says in Ahmed Vav, that's what Eliezer showed to the um, people he's talking to. So why does Rashi say that he showed it to them? And I think the answer is very simple. Having proved that there is a shtar in Pasuk Yud, then he must have done something with it. And at the point when he says something very, very relevant to this shtar, Remember, Shtar Matana said Rashi, a document attesting to the giving. So when he says, Abraham gave, gave to Yitzchak everything that Abraham had, that's the time to bring out the star to demonstrate what he's talking about. So if he had such a star, if he had such a document, then of course he's going to show it. And that's what he does in Pasuk Lamad Rav, according to Rashi. And then he says in Lamad Zayin, and my master made me swear, Lemur, saying, Lo tikach isha livni, you will not take a wife for my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites amongst whom I dwell. And Rashi says on that, Lo tikach isha livni, im lo avi. If you don't go first of all to the house of my father, and if she doesn't refuse to come after you. Now, there's a few things to say. Um, it's actually a little bit simpler than we might think at the moment because, um, well, let's read on a little bit. 
Because Lamed Zion, we've read, but we also need to read Lamed Chet and Lamed Tet, and actually all the way through to uh, Mem Aleph. So we'll do that very quickly. So I'll go back to Lamed Zion. Uh, he made me swear that I won't take a daughter from the Canaanites. If you do not go, and Rashi added the word tehillah, first of all, to the house of my father you shall go, and to my family. This is Abraham's words to Eliezer, that Eliezer is repeating in the story, that you have to go to my family, and you'll take a, daughter, a, woman, a wife for my son from there, from my father's house. And then he tells the story by Yoma, and he said, Eladoni, I'm sorry, I said to my master, maybe the woman won't want to come with me. Hashem will help you. But if she da- if he doesn't, and if you don't find a wife, if you don't get the wife, they don't give it to you, then you'll be free from my oath. Okay, so it's fortunate that we have all that bit, all those extra pasukim after Lama Zion. Why is it fortunate? Because that matches up with what happened at the beginning of the story. That Abraham said, you've got to take a wife from um, my, fa- my family's house. But he also said, if the woman doesn't want to come back with you, then you'll be free from my oath. The point is this. If you just look at Posuk Lamed Zion, which is introduced by my master made me swear that I will not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan full stop. It sounds like Eliezer is repeating that there's absolutely no option. It's, it's Haran or nothing. It's Avraham's family or nothing. It can never be the daughters of Canaan. But we know that's not correct because we know Avraham said, under some circumstances, you might end up doing just that. So if you look again at Rashi on Lamed Zion, Rashi qualifies this, you can't take a wife um, from the daughters of Canaan unless you do something else first. And as I said, he adds the word tequila. You will go first to the house of my father. Don't think, we the reader, don't think that, okay, Eliezer is saying, um, I don't have to go first to um, Abraham's family. I could take a Canaanite wife and later on I can go to Abraham's family, like double check to see if perhaps there's a wife there as well. No, Rashi makes clear that he has to go first to Abraham's family. And if that doesn't work, if she refuses, uh, 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 he has to fulfill the oath. If she doesn't refuse to go after him, that will be the wife that he's choosing. But if she doesn't refuse, I'm, I'm, I'm changing the words of Rashi a bit to put it into a better context. If she does refuse to go after him, then we know that he can indeed take a wife from the Canaanites. So Rashi is, is, is fleshing out just the, the, the minimum part of the oath which is mentioned in Lamed Zion, and is telling you that you have to read Lamed Chet and Lamed Tet and Mem as well, and then you will find it matches up with what Abraham said to Eliezer in the first place. But I would also like to suggest that Rashi is adding to Eliezer's words to make, uh, to, to, in the context of the negotiation that Eliezer is trying to establish with Lavan and Batuel. Because if you take the words before you get to Rashi, 
if you just take Pasuk Lamed Zion without any additions, without Rashi, it would sound like Lavan and Batuel hold all the cards. Because if the instruction from Avraham is, you must never under any circumstance take a Canaanite wife, it can only be for Avraham's family, well then Lavan and Batuel can just name their price. That, that Eliezer doesn't want to be in that situation. That would be in a very bad situation to be in for a negotiator. So that's why Rashi makes clear that Eliezer's subtext is, but there is an alternative. Don't think that I'm absolutely stuck here because if it's not going to work out, if you're not going to let Rivka come with me, then I do have other options. Don't think that I don't. That's what Rashi adds to put, as it were, to, to, to give a more understanding of how Eliezer is, is playing his cards. Right. Then, well, we went to Abdul Ahmed Chet again because we rushed it last time. So Eliezer carries on. Im lo el beit avi el mishpachti. Unless I can't take a wife from the Canaanites, unless I go to my the house to the house of Abraham's father, the el mishpachti, and to sorry, it's Abraham speaking to my family. And you'll take a wife from my son, i.e., from there. Vayomar. Now this is. Eliezer continuing the story. And Eliezer now in Pasuk Lamatet is referring to the way Eliezer actually spoke to Avraham in Pasuk Hey. Let's just glance at Pasuk Hey. In Pasuk Hey, this is the narrator's version of the story. The servant said to Avraham, Ulai, perhaps. The woman will not want to come after me to this land. You know, she won't want to come all the way back to Eretz Israel. Uh, and then what do I do? And Avram says, this is what you do. But Hashem will help you. But if, if you're still stuck, then you can use somebody else. So when in Pasuk Lamatet, Eliezer repeats that part of the story, he says like this. The Omar, and I said, El Adoni, to my master, Ulai, Perhaps the woman will not come after me. Is that the same? Unless you're familiar with this Rashi already about what's going to happen, I'm asking you, is Lamatet the same as Hay? And I'll tell you straight away, the answer is there's one letter difference. And as I said, Rashi doesn't um, analyze every difference between the narration and Eliezer's version because they're probably not significant and it's not supposed to be a verbatim repetition. However, when you have the same word, same yet different, as I've said many times, Rashi must comment. When it's the same yet different, Rashi must comment. So, Ulai with a vav spelled Malay and Ulai without a vav spelled Chaser, they're exactly the same word, but there is a difference. And if there's a difference, there must be a significance. So this is what Eliezer says. This is what Rashi says to Eliezer says. Ulai ha'isha. So the word is spelt Aleph Lamad Yud. It's read as Ulai. But without the vowels, Aleph Lamad Yud might be read as Rashi says, Eli, Eli, to me it is written. Kativ. What does it mean, Eli, to me? So what Rashi says that Eliezer says, and it's significant, this is the words of Eliezer himself. Eliezer says that when I said Ulai, I actually had a different kavana as well. I had another intention as well. I had in mind the word 
Ali. And that's why it's spelled Ali. Why did I have in mind the word Ali to me? Continues Rashi. But Haita lo le Eliezer. Eliezer had a daughter. So there's no proof in the text for this. This is, this is a midrash, but Rashi brings it at this point. Eliezer had a daughter. And he was searching to find an excuse. That Abraham would say to him, live not a love to turn to him, that Abraham would turn to Eliezer to marry his daughter. So then when uh, in Pasuk, hey, is it hey? Yeah. When in Pasuk, hey, Eliezer said, he was also saying, Eli, turn to me. So if the woman won't come back, here's your answer. We could be Mukhatanim. And you, Yitzchak, can marry my daughter. Eli, turn to me. But Abraham apparently wasn't having any of that. And it's amazing that Eliezer, according to Rashi, actually says the next words. Amarlo Abraham, well, it, uh, Rashi doesn't say explicitly Eliezer says it, but Eliezer was certainly referring to it according to Rashi. Amarlo Abraham, Abraham said to him, Bani Baruch va'ata arur. My son is blessed and you are cursed. Ve'ein arur medabek ve'baruch. And somebody who is cursed can't cleave to somebody who is blessed. Why is Eliezer cursed? Canani. He's a Canaan. Who cursed Canaan? Noah. Excellent. Noah cursed Canaan. When Noah woke up from his stupor, his drunken stupor, and found out what Ham had done to him, whatever that was, he cursed Ham's son, Canaan. So Eliezer is a Canaanite. So he cannot, his daughter is also a Canaanite, cannot marry a blessed son, Yitzchak. Which, by the way, means all this stuff about you can't take a daughter of the Canaanites unless, must mean, Canaanite used loosely. That, that's okay. I was going to ask that. Yeah, it means local girl, but not tough girl oh, Canaanite. We said it, but Mamre, we said it like he had his mates we talked about. Yeah, it's true. He was a Hittite. Oh. I'm not sure if that's different from a Canaanite in this respect. Tricky. Yeah. But there must be some sort of answer, sure. otherwise we're stuck. Mm. Okay. So, uh, first of all, just uh, this is not something that Rashi normally does, not something that I would normally do, but just imagine the human tragedy here. Eliezer is Abraham's faithful servant. Right? He is Dole, his teaching. Eliezer shares Abraham's teaching. This is what Rashi said um, with other people. Um, Abraham was afraid that Eliezer was going to end up his, his heir. He obviously didn't want Eliezer to be his heir, but nevertheless, they were like they were close. Uh, when Abraham rushes off to uh, defeat the the four kings. Um, he takes 318 of his men, which Rashi says is gematria for Eliezer. Eliezer is his sidekick. And at the last minute, Rashi Abraham says to Eliezer, you are arur, you are cursed. Okay, but Eliezer carries on because that's the sort of guy that Eliezer is. Now, the question is often asked, why does the Torah here say ulai without a vav? Why didn't it say there without a vav? So there's lots of interesting answers. Um, it said that this is this idea that Eliezer had this subtext of you should turn to my turn to me, i.e., Yitzhak should marry my daughter. It was in his subconscious. When he said Ulai, it was at the subconscious level. When Eliezer repeats the story, he realizes on his own reflection the separate idea that he had. So he didn't really admit it the first time round, 
But because he is a good guy, a man of integrity, he does admit it the second time round. Or very different tack. Um, again, it's not 100% clear if these words of Rashi are words that Eliezer said to Lava number 12, but imagine that they are, then it encourages Lava number 12 to make the match because he's telling Lava number 12 that Abraham's very picky about who can marry Yitzchak, that even my own daughter, says Eliezer, was ruled out. So that puts your daughter as more special and therefore you should agree to the match. Uh, okay. Pasuk Mem. No, we've done that one. Pasuk Mem. Oh, no, Pasuk Mem. So Hashem, uh, Abraham replies, and uh, Eliezer records, Vayome Eli Hashem, lafanav. And he said to me, Hashem, before whom I walk, Yishalach Malacho Hitach will send his angel with you, Vihitzliach Darkecha. And your way will be successful. And you will take a wife for my son, from my family, and from my father's house. No rush on that. Then you will be free, you will be clean, literally, of this my oath, because you have gone to my family. And if they don't give to you, i.e. they don't allow a the girl in question to go back with you and be Yitzchak's wife. Then you will be clean from my oath. Okay, so that's what I talked about before, that if you go for all the circumstances, if you do do the right thing, if you go to Haran and they don't give her to you, then, you're, then you can choose somebody else. Still no rush on that. Pasuk Membet. And I came today to the well, and I said, Hashem Elokei Adoni Abraham, God, the God of my master Abraham, Im Yeshcha Na Matzliach Darki, if you will please make my way successful, Asher Anochi Holech Aleha, which I am going on it. So again, very much not the same words, but the same meaning as um, Eliezer used in the original narrative. It, it's fascinating, by the way, as I, I've said this quite twice, excuse me if I say it a third time that Rashi doesn't feel the need to talk about different words, unless it's the same word spelt differently. Because if it's the same word, you'd expect it to be spelled the same. And if it's not spelled the same, then Rashi's going to say. Okay. Rashi says the word, hayom. Hayom yatsati, hayom bati. Today, I set out, and today, I arrived. Mikan shakavtsa lo ha'aretz. From this, we learn that the land literally jumped was was jumped for him. In other words, the, we talk about Kafisa Taderech, when Yaakov made pretty much the same journey later on, it was also Kafisa Taderech, the, the land contracted for him and he came miraculously fast. So Rashi learns that out from the word Hayom. Why? What's significant about the word Hayom? Well, the word Hayom is remarkably redundant. He says, I arrived here today. When did they think he arrived here? Two weeks ago? And he's been staying at the local B&B. Of course, he arrived here today. So what is the point of saying I arrived today? The answer is, it's telling you that I arrived today, even though I only set out today. And, uh, and from here, we learn that there was Kavisa Tzadera. Then Rashi says the following, or he brings the Gemara, uh, the Midrash that says the following. Amar Rabbi Achar, 
רבי אחר סס, יפה שיחתן של עבדי אבות לפני המקום, מתורתן של בנים. The conversation, like sort of the idle chatter of the servants of the patriarchs are יפה, are more beautiful before Hashem than the Torah of the children. So the children of the Avot is the descendants of the Avot. That's us, by the way. So the Torah of the children is the Torah. And the Hashem prefers the, the Sicha, the idle chattel of the servants of the Avot, more than the Torah that the children, the descendants of the Avot will study. How do we know this? Shaharei parasha shel Eliezer kafula b'Torah. Because the parasha, the story of Eliezer, is doubled in the Torah, as we've said. And many, literally bodies, in other words, essential parts of Torah, are only given by illusions. Um, the Many examples will, will serve, but perhaps uh, uh, many of the laws of Tumantara, which is a whole chunk of Torah, um, a third of the entire Shas, about Tumantara, probably more actually. Um, and yet lots of laws of Tumantara, some of them are said explicitly, but many, many others are learned out by um, rabbinic exegesis, which he, he refers to as Ramiza, by allusions. So the Torah can spend Pasuk after Pasuk after Pasuk telling us what Eliezer had for tea, and we already know that, and yet when it comes to various very important and crucial halachot, the Torah just alludes to them. So we see from that that this sicha is very precious to God, and that's why it's worth us to learn. Okay, so Rashi says that to explain why this whole story is doubled, why it doesn't just say, Eliezer told them what happened, and we will finish the parasha much quicker. So the question is asked, and I, I have not seen satisfactory answers to it, but I'll share one, as to why does Rashi put it dafka at this point? Rashi could have made that point anywhere, really from the beginning of the story, which was Parapasuk Lama Dalit. Um, you could try and say, but this bit is particularly repetitive. Um, what, what he's saying now here on about the test that he gave for Rivka is exactly what he said, but it's not really, it's not worth words, I said, but it's very similar to what he said before. Um, but I don't think that really works. It certainly doesn't satisfy me because the previous Pasukin that we've covered already also are very much a repetition of what we had before. So I did see, I think this is a bit stretched, but it's a, it's a, it's a rather beautiful idea. Um, if I want to refer you to Pasuk Samach Bav. So we're jumping uh, a lot ahead in the story. I'm sorry, it's a bit of a spoiler. The story ends happily that Rivka does go back and marry Yitzchak. Sorry if I've ruined the story for you. And the servant told to Yitzchak all the things which he had done, which he had done. Note those words. And Rashi says on, um, which uh, Rashi says, Be'yasapera ha'ebed, gilolo nisim shena'asu lo. Eliezer revealed to Yitzchak miracles that were done to him. Shekafsa lo ha'aretz, that the earth was, the journey was uh, shrunken for him. V'shenizdam damna lo rivka b'tfilato. And Rivka arrived, or happened to arrive, in response to his prayer. Now, it's very interesting. I, well, I'll say now what I would have said on some of when we get there. Um, might be a long time before we get there, so I'll probably say it again when we get there. Um, 
The Pasuk says, Hadavarim Asher Asa, the things which he, Eliezer, had done. And Rashi changes that to Nisim Shana Asulo, miracles that were done to him. And then he lists two miracles. The Kfitzah Vaderach, which we've just learned about in our Pasuk Membre, and the fact that, Eli- that Rivka arrived just at the right time, just as he was doubling. So how can Rashi change Asha Asa to Naasulo? So maybe what the reason that the two are equivalent is because these miracles happened to Eliezer because he was so keen to fulfill his mission, to fulfill the word of his master. He really, really, really wanted to get to Haran. And you know what happened? Hashem shortened the journey for him. He really, really, really wanted to find the right girl. So he set this test about the water and the camels. You know what? Hashem made the right girl appear. So the miracles that happened to him were indeed a reflection of what he did. And this Pasuk Membet, or rather this Rashi on Membet, talks about one of those things. Talks about the Kavitsa of Derech. So if you accept what I'm suggesting about Samachvab, this, the Kavitsa of Derech, is an expression of Eliezer's tremendous desire to fulfill Abraham's wishes. So it's very nice that we learned that. And that is why the Sicha of the uh, of the Avot is so beautiful, even more so than other parts of the Torah, because it teaches us things like that. And by the way, if, uh, if Eliezer is such a man of integrity, where does he get that from? Obviously, he gets it from Abraham. But I'll add one more detail, which I think actually makes this very nice. I'm not saying it's actually correct as Pshat and Rashi, but it's very nice. Rashi's comment in Membet comes immediately after the previous comment, which is on Lamentet, where Eliezer has to accept the fact that he is Arur. He's got this tremendous slap in the face from Abraham. And nevertheless, immediately after, we see the Kavitsa Raderach, which I'm suggesting is an expression, is a result of his tremendous desire to fulfill his mission. That's integrity. Even after he's told he's Aror, and our families never the twain shall meet, nevertheless, he demonstrates that he's desperate to do the right thing. And Hashem responds and helps him. And that's all learned out from the word Hayom, which is part of what we are learning when we learn the Sicha of the Ebed of Abraham. And that's why it's so precious. And that's why we're learning it. And it's even uh, more, more space in the Torah is given to this than is given to Harabet Gufei Torah into the many principles of the Torah. So the only thing is, some of doesn't explain the whole conversation. It doesn't go into depth of, I'm being a bit facetious, I guess, but like it doesn't explain, some of should say, and Elias, I told Abraham everything. And this is what I did. I, I saw Lavan and I met the well, and I, Well, it's interesting. That, well, sort of, but yeah. uh, Rashi moved, changes it completely. Hmm. And I suppose the reason for that is he's talking to uh, Yitzchak, by the way. Um, okay. I suppose he's, right. Rashi understands as that Eliezer is trying to prove to Yitzchak that this is the woman given by God. Hmm. This is the one that God wants. So having chatted to Petuel is not relevant to that. But the miracles that God does that enables Eliezer to find Rivka, that's relevant. So that's why Rashi says, he's not going to tell him just a travelogue. He's not going to say, you know, come and see my slides or look on Facebook, if, if you're still allowed to look on Facebook. Uh, and you can see the pictures I took. Um, but rather, he's telling him the pertinent points. What is pertinent? The miracles that happen. Yeah. But it's still the case that Rashi can't go all the way far from the Pshat, where, which is Asher Asa. It's the things that he did. So we do have to explain how the miracles can be described as the things that Eliezer did. So the suggestion that I just offered is that they are the result 
of his desiring to get the mission done. Pasuk Mem Gimel. Hinei Anochi Nitzav. Am I up to there? Yes. Hinei Anochi Nitzav Al Ein Hamayim. Sorry. So in Pasuk Mem Bet, um, Eliezer describes how he began his tefillah to Hashem, asking Hashem to matzliach darki, to make my way successful. So he continues with the words of his tefillah to Hashem in Mem Gimel. Hinei Anochi Nitzav Al Ein Hamayim. Behold, I am standing by the well of water. And behold, the maiden who is coming out to draw, I draw water. And I will say to her, Let me drink a little water from your pitcher. Or as I said, we'd say jug. And no rushing. And she will say to me, Gam also you drink the gum ligmalecha and also to your camels, Eshav, I will draw. She is the woman whom Hashem will leave Rashi to translate Chokhiach. Um, Hashem has done something for the son of my master. So Rashi says there on the words gum ata, gum larabot anashim shi'imo. Gam, gam, in the words of Chazal, is always an inclusive. It includes, it doesn't just mean also, it means something else as well. And so what does it mean as well? Well, in this passage, she's covered Eliezer himself and the camels. So she seems to have missed out the camel drivers. So Rashi says they are included. That's part of the gum. Now, it's interesting when I said Chazal always see gum as including something else. Um, that's not quite so Pasha, um, because in Pasuk Kafei, for instance, of our Pasuk, that's just an example of our Perak, um, Eliezer asked Rivka if they had a place to stay. But Toma Elav, Gam Teben, Gam Mispa. There's also straw, there's also fodder. And Rashi didn't say the gum, the, the separates, the two gums there included anything. And yet he does here. Now, it could be because there's something clearly missing. As I said, she mentions Eliezer, she mentions the camels, clearly the camel drivers will be included. It would be absurd for her not to include them. Or you could say there's a slight difference here. There's an extra inclusion. It's not gum, gum. If you look carefully, it's gum, the gum. So maybe it's that extra vav, which means and, which leads Rashi to say it's and something else as well. So maybe, I'm not sure, I haven't checked every instance of gum, gum that maybe gum, gum does not include extra, and gum, the gum does, maybe. Um, and then Rashi on the word chokhicha, beirar v'hodia, chosen and made known. <clears throat> so going back to the Pasuk, um, the woman who says, I'll draw for your camels, hi ha'isha asher chokhichach, chokhichach, Hashem leven Adoni. This is the woman whom Hashem, now we can say, has chosen and made known for the son of my master. And then Rashi says, kol Wherever you have in scripture, it is a meaning of choosing something. I'm not sure, and I have to say, I haven't found an answer why Rashi adds those words, why Rashi has to say this is a general rule. 
sometimes he does that when he's explained a word he says and this is a consistent meaning and sometimes he doesn't so i haven't got a good answer why he does in this case but he does having said means berar vahodia he then says in a, that's that's the, the standard meaning uh, elsewhere in scripture sarah are you looking at something interesting not sure i was just thinking about the gums all right and like moshe the snare air it's like like, like, it's just over yeah. and over. Gum, 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 gum. And that certainly does add. It adds extra days and it gets a total of seven days. Um, what's the pasuk there for anyone who might be listening? Shemot, Perak, Gimel, Pasuk. Uh, sorry, Dalit, ah. um, Yud, Yud. Shemot, Dalit, Yud. Yeah. Where, uh, Hashem, uh, Moshe says, um, uh, Hashem says, Moshe, Hashem is speaking or Moshe is speaking? Um, Moshe is responding to Hashem saying, please, I'm not a person of words. Please don't send me. Gam. Gam itmol, gam ishilshon, gam azirecha. Yeah. And Rashi does say, well, it implies extra days. It makes a total of seven days there. Maybe it's three gums. Right. Maybe that's what. Right. I means it has to be more inclusive. Sorry, that took us back a few minutes. Yeah, don't worry. Okay, I think we've got time for one more pasuk. Mem hey, ani terem akale ledaber el libi. I before terem is before akale. Well, I'll tell you now. Rashi says that means I am finishing in the present tense. Ledaber el libi to speak to my heart. Vehine rivka yotzet. Rivka, behold, Rivka was coming out. In other words, Rivka appeared immediately before I'd even finished my speech to God. The Kada al Shikma and her jug was on her shoulder, the Tered ha Ayana, and she came down to the well, the Tishab, and she drew water for Omar Elaha. And I said to her, Hashkini, na, please let me drink. And Rashi is bothered by Akale, because Akale is in the future tense. And it doesn't make any sense in the future. I, before I will finish to speak. Remember, he's telling a story about things that have happened in the past. So it might have made sense to say before I finish speaking, but it doesn't make sense before I will finish speaking. So Rashi tells you a rule about tenses. So first of all, he says, Terem before that I will finish, or sorry, that I am finishing. He, he swaps akale in the future to makale in the present. And then he says, And this is the time with, this is the uh, style of any expression in the present tense. Sometimes it speaks in the past tense. In other words, it has a present tense meaning, but it has a past tense grammar. And it could have written in this case, in the past tense, Kerem Kiliti. And sometimes the present tense is actually used the grammatical construction of the future. Kamo ki amar eov. So eov, um, there's a description going on in Perak Allah Pasukhe of eov, and referring to something that he did on an ongoing basis so actually really it's sort of imperfect but Rashi here understands it so it really should be written in the present tense because it's the sort of things that he did all the time but we have Amar 
Harei Loshon Avar. And then we have Kacha Ya'aseh Eov. So Eov should do Harei Loshon Atid. That's in the future. Upera Shenehem Loshon Hover. And they both actually have the meaning of present tense. Again, sorry, I'm, I'm rushing this a bit. Um, by Eov, we find a verb in the past tense. We find a verb in the future tense. But they both have a present tense meaning. So a very good example, because you have two in the same pasuk, of how you can use the future tense or can use the past tense to mean the present tense. In both those cases, by Eov, they have a present tense meaning. Sorry, because Eov was actually saying, Maybe my sons have sinned and this is what he did. The story there is, he had sons who were a bit like uh, men about town. And they would hang around doing things around the town. And every day he would say, maybe my sons have sinned. And every day he would offer sacrifices on that uh, just in case. So he would do something on an ongoing basis. That's why, although it might sound a bit more imperfect, um, Rashi said you would use the present tense. It would have a present tense meaning. This is what Eov does every day. And yet the, the Tanakh writes sometimes in the future and sometimes in the past. Because a present tense can be uh, uh, be the translation of a verb in the future or verb in the past. That's the point. And that's why when he speaks in this case, when uh, Eliezer uses the word I will finish, it actually should be translated as I am finishing, because this is an example of a future tense with a present tense meaning. I think, and I, I'm no expert in dictum, uh, I wish I were, but I think that um, the root of this is there isn't really a present tense in Hebrew. It's a fake. Anikotev really means I am a writer, not I write. And that is why you don't say uh, it doesn't change in the six ways for I, he, she, you, and then the plurals. There's only four versions, singular, plural, masculine, and feminine, because that's how nouns are declined. I'm a writer. She is a writeress. They are writeresses. Okay. That's how... You, that's why Kotev only has four uh, uh, positions, four parts of the conjugation, because really it's not conjugated, it's declined like a noun. Well, my point is, there really isn't a real life present tense in Hebrew. So therefore, it fits that the present tense would borrow past tense or future tense um, when it feels like it, basically, which is what this Rashi is saying. But the whole point of this Rashi, and let's end by saying, is to explain Eliezer's use of the word which sounds future, but doesn't make sense if you read it as a future tense. I, before I will finish speaking, doesn't make any sense. It has to have a present tense meaning. And Rashi explains that a future tense verb can have a present tense meaning. And we'll stop there. And Mr. Shem will carry on again next week. Thank you very Thank much. You, Thanks. Bye. Bye.